The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. All right. Welcome to our two of the Yaron Brook Show. And uh, we are... Sound here sounds weird. All right. Uh, We are going to be talking about... um, UBI, are you getting uh, you getting weird sound? Oh, right, we're going to be talking about UBI, and uh, let me just do something here. UBI, minimum wage, and uh, and we'll see what else we can fit in. Uh, it's uh, it should be uh, should be an interesting hour. All right, um, let's see. Uh, something's something's weird here. One second. All right. All right, we'll uh, we'll have to uh, deal with what we have. All right, so uh, UBI. We've been talking about uh, for the last uh, for the last while about uh, universal basic income. We've talked about why it is uh, it is considered such a such a good thing, and uh, you know a lot of groups, a lot of people from Silicon Valley all the way to Charles Murray. Are big supporters of this idea of universal basic income, of universal basic income. Because the real question is, you know, is a good thing a bad thing? And, I, and as I said in a previous hour, the good thing about it, the good thing about it is that it gets rid of a massive bureaucracy. It gets rid of tons of people who uh, work today in the welfare state. It gets rid of the pressure groups. It gets rid of the bureaucrats. It gets rid of the lobbyists, and it simplifies everything. It simplifies and makes far more efficient everything. And it's also true that if jobs completely did disappear, which I think, by the way, is complete nonsense, but we'll get to that, then it will give people some basic incomes they don't all just starve, right? All right. Um, now, if, if you have any other advantages that you can think of, uh, you know, give me a call. Um, it's uh, the number here is 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. And uh, give me a call. Let me know what you think. Uh, let me know what you think about UBI and whether you think um, whether you think uh, there are advantages that I've missed. There's something that I'm missing here. So let's, let's talk about the disadvantages uh, of UBI. And I think, let me just be clear, I think the real advantages, I, I don't think this is, this is why it's so appealing, and it's so appealing to smart people. It, it, it's, it's so appealing to people who, who, who want to see government become more efficient. And of course, this is part of the problem. What happens we come, when government becomes more efficient at violating our rights? What happens when government becomes more efficient taking our money away from us and redistributing it. And at the end of the day, that's what would happen. It wouldn't stop the taking. It wouldn't stop the redistribution. It would make that redistribution more efficient, less, if you will, offensive, less disturbing. One of the best things about the welfare state today is that it's going bankrupt. And as I said before, Social Security and Medicare are going to drive us 
into bankruptcy. And that's a good thing, because it's going to force us to confront the issue of redistribution of wealth. It's going to force us to confront the issue of handing people handouts and what that does to the people you're handing the money to. Because one of the things all proponents of welfare ignore, and certainly the UBI people ignore because they want to do this on steroids, is the damage you do to people when you tell them, don't work, you don't need to work, here's a check, forget about taking care of yourself. Don't be ambitious, because this is enough money to take care of you. Now, the advantage of Charles Murray's $10,000 is it's not really enough, and th th so there would be some incentive to work. But don't work too hard. Don't be too ambitious. Don't want to make too much money. This is enough to live on. It's a universal basic income. Why try for more than that? Think about what that does to human spirit, what that does to human being. The fact is that part of where we get our self-esteem, part of where we get the confidence to be alive, to, to enjoy our life, to, to get a sense of belonging on this planet, in this world, in our, in, in our, it comes from our capacity to know. It comes from our knowledge, not really our capacity. It comes from our knowledge so we can take care of ourselves, that we feed ourselves, that we put bread on the table, that we feed our family, that we take care of their needs. And it used to be our, their needs were just bread on the table. But today they need is an iPhone. And tomorrow they need will be a robot, a personalized robot. And our self-esteem as human beings, and therefore our happiness as human beings, comes from the knowledge that at whatever level, at whatever level, it is our work, it is our own ability, it is our own efforts, it's in our own mind, our own thinking, that provides for people, the people we care for, and our, most importantly, for ourselves. Think about somebody poor, before the welfare state existed, who worked for a living, never made a lot of money. Think of the, the, those European immigrants who came in the 19th century, barely survived, but they did survive. Maybe they were farmers in the Midwest, maybe they were working in the east side of New York, at some manual job or a little store or something, and they barely survived. But you know what? Every day, they put food on the table for their families. Every day, they put some money aside for their kids' future education. Every day, they invested in their own future in one way or another. So every day, they work to make their lives slightly better. Think about the self-esteem, the pride, and ultimately a consequence of self-esteem and pride is happiness. You can't get self-esteem without taking care of yourself. We can't get self-esteem without the knowledge that you can survive in this world, that you can thrive in this world, that you can take care of yourself and the people you love, the people that you're responsible for. When we get people welfare, we are destroying their capacity to happiness. We're destroying their capacity to have self-esteem. Now, once in a while, you'll hear a story where welfare helped somebody get over a bad spot and ultimately they succeeded in life. Uh, J.K. Rollins of Harry Potter fame comes to mind. Sure. And, and, but that's the exception. That's not the rule. You hear much more about generations that have been in welfare, about people who don't go to work because they get food stamps, they get, they clobber together all these different welfare checks and they manage somehow. And think about the incentives where we don't save anymore because of Social Security, and we don't think about our health care needs and costs and, and relationships because we have Medicare and because the government's going to take care of our health care. And socialized medicine would make that a thousand times worse. 
Think about the fact that we are abandoning the responsibility of our own lives because we're letting government take care of it through the welfare state. So it's, um, you know, it's really destructive. Welfare is really destructive to the people receiving it. But what about the people from which it's taken? What could I do with the money if it stayed with me? Well, I could, I could, I could make my life better. I could invest it and, God forbid, even create some jobs. I could start a little business. Maybe I'm, maybe I've got some ideas and I want to be an entrepreneur, but I don't have the capital to get it going. And if I didn't pay so much taxes, I'd be able to save a little bit and actually create a business. Maybe I could save something for retirement because I don't believe Social Security will be there for me in retirement. Maybe I can take care of my kids better. Maybe I can send them to a better university. There are a million things people can do if they got to keep their own money. And maybe I would give some of that money to charity to help the J.K. Rollins of the world, the people who really get into bad lot and really have the ambition and the skill to be successful. Because you know what? In a truly free market, I would not give charity to everybody. I don't believe everybody deserves charity. I don't believe it's because somebody needs stuff, they deserve my help. I'm happy to help people who have fallen on bad luck and who, if I help them, will be successful, will work hard, will strive to rise up in spite of that. But I don't want to help everybody. The wife beating drunk deserves to stay poor, deserves to have nothing. I don't want to help them. All right, so it's the huge disadvantages to the welfare, any welfare, any redistribution. But what is it specifically about UBI? What is it specifically about the universal basic income that makes it particularly damaging? We'll talk about that when we come back right after this break. You're listening to Iran Book Show on the Blaze Radio Network. PhD, author, media contributor. This is the Yaron Brooks Show, the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. got a couple of callers, which is good. So uh, we're going to take the callers in a few minutes. So we were talking about we're talking about universal basic income. We've talked about what it is, why it's coming up, um, the bankruptcy of the welfare states, the the, the literal bankruptcy, the, the financial bankruptcy of the welfare state. Robots are going to take our jobs, and we need to take care of people. Is the other, of course, reason. And uh, we talked a little bit about the advantages that it takes, gets rid of the gets rid of the bureaucracy. It it simplifies it it. It does away with the bankruptcy part, so it's it's more cost-effective long-term. Short run, very expensive, long-term, more efficient. Uh, we also started to talk about the disadvantages, one of the big ones being uh, just the welfare, the fact that you're giving money to people, the immorality of doing that, the destruction of their lives that is a consequence of you doing that, and then also the fact that money is taken from you, from me, from all of us, and the immorality of that, and, and what we could do with our own money, and, and the, the fact that... 
You know, here's something Ayn Rand once said that is very powerful. It shouldn't be right, let's do it this way. If something is immoral for an individual, I'm paraphrasing, if something is immoral for an individual to do, then it's immoral for a group to do. If something is immoral for an individual to do, it's immoral for a group to do. If it's immoral and wrong and illegal for you to steal money from another human being, it's immoral and should be illegal for a group to be able to steal money from an individual. And that group is the government. It can't be right for a government to do something that it's wrong for an individual to do. If I can't come up to you with a gun and force you to give me your money, it can't be moral and right for the government to be able to come to me and take my money away even if it thinks it's doing it for the so-called public interest and common good and to benefit other people. That is just wrong. Wrong. Okay? All right. So um, we got a couple of calls. So we, we've got the immorality and the wrongness. I've, I want to say some more about the disadvantages and why I think it's so dangerous. But let's, let's take a couple of calls. Uh, let's start actually with Luke in Louisiana. Luke wants to say something positive about UBI, I think. Hey, Luke, how's it going? Uh, hey, how's it going, Mr. Yaron? Um, good. First, I want to say that I really, really like your perspective. You have a very fair and good-natured logic that you apply to your to your uh, discussion here. Um, well, that's great. Not not many people call me fair, so thank you. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate that. Uh, do you, uh, can I ask you, do you have any books, actually? I do. I have two books. You go to Amazon. I've got two main books, and I've got a few books where I contributed essays. So the two books that I would I, I suggest you get is the first is called Free Market Revolution, Free Market Revolution, and I cover a lot of the of what I cover today in there about what free markets should look like and what the moral foundations of a proper free market is. So I recommend that. And then the second one is called Equal is Unfair. Equal is Unfair. So Free Market Revolution and Equal is Unfair are the two books you can get them on Amazon. And then if you look at my name on Amazon, you'll get some other books as well. Some awesome. I, policy I will be stuff sure to do that. Yep. Yeah. Um, Thanks. So you had asked if you think that you missed anything on the UBI for us to go ahead and let you know. And, and I don't know if you covered this and I missed it, but one thing about it is that a, a lot of people claim discrimination with the welfare, you yeah. know, because oh, I'm good. this, I only got this and stuff like that. And with what you're talking about, nobody could claim that anymore. That's and, actually uh, really good. I hadn't thought of that. With it is what you do with it. I hadn't thought of that. You know, we believe in equality before the law. We believe that the government should never discriminate, that the government should never discriminate. And um, uh, you're absolutely right. With UBI, there's no discrimination. Every adult gets $10,000. And it, right. no matter your race, no matter your color, no matter your sex, no matter your sexual orientation, no matter your trans-labeling or whatever it's called, right? Uh, right. There's no bureaucrat who can then say, oh, I don't like you, so you're not going to get food stamps this week, which I sure happens every day. Um, instead, you just get a check in the mail or you get a check deposited directly into your bank account, which would be the ideal way, to, the efficient way to do it. So, yes, it would do away with government discrimination. I agree. That is, a, that is another significant advantage of it. So thanks, Luke. Thank you. For taking Appreciate my call. it. All right. Great. Yeah. And I'm sure if we thought about this, we could come up with other, with other advantages. If you take that human element out, if you take the, the, the judgment out of, of who deserves and who doesn't deserve and who should get it and who shouldn't get it, you can come up with lots of ways in this where this becomes fairer, fairer in quotes, and more efficient, right? And more efficient. All right. Now, uh, by the way, Luke, 
I, given that you asked him, my, my books, that's great. Yeah, I know, but he hopefully he's still listening. I know you're off the line. But, but one thing I would do is, is read Ayn Rand, and this is generally for those listening. Read Ayn Rand, A-Y-N-R-A-N-D, Atlas Shrugged, The Fountainhead. Everybody, there shouldn't be an American who hasn't read those books. The most important books probably in American literature um, and American philosoph philosophical thought. So uh, The Fountainhead, Atlas Shrugged, all the ideas I have here. Obey, uh, you know, I'm trying to interpret Ayn Rand to the best of my ability. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say that I speak for Ayn Rand. Nobody speaks for Ayn Rand. But I'm trying to interpret, I'm trying to apply her ideas to the best of my ability. So Ayn Rand. And, and if you're interested in Ayn Rand, then also you should go to the Ayn Rand Institute website, uh, AynRand.org, A-Y-N-R-A-N-D.org. All of you. If you've read Atlas Shrugged at some point, you remember it was a great book, go to A-Y-N-R-A-N-D.org. And buy my books, buy Ayn Rand books, and, and, and go and go and look at the ideas on the website. I, you know, these are the ideas that are going to change the world. These are the ideas that these are the ideas that are going to save America. Okay, let's go to Michael in Tennessee. Who also wants to talk about the UBI. Hey, Michael. Hey, Ron. I called last week and kind of started the conversation with the UBI. Okay, so this is your fault. And I yeah. and I thought I thought today that I'll spend a couple of segments in UBI and that'll be it and I'll go into the minimum wage and of course forget about it. This is this looks like it's gonna take up the whole show. Um, well I, look I, hopefully not I, too boring honest. for you guys. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I was just I was mostly playing devil's advocate. I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. Sure. Uh, but I wanted to tell you another disadvantage or it might not be a disadvantage, but I I've never bought into the automation idea. I just never have. Right. And the reason I haven't is because you can go back, and I, as I mentioned before, I'm a student of Milton Friedman and all those great thinkers. Sure. And, and Ayn Rand was probably my favorite. You can go back and watch their old interviews and stuff, and even back in the 60s and the 70s, they were talking about, oh, we're 10 years away from complete automation where we won't have anything for people. And it never happened. You, you, and the, look, the reason I – yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Michael, quickly. The reason I don't think it happens is because I think that's one of the beautiful things about the market is it's kind of like a scientific idea that the more you know, the more you find out you don't know. Well, uh, let's, uh, let me put it differently. I would put okay. it this way. Human needs are infinite. There's no end to human needs. I need a massage once every two weeks. I need an iPhone. I am going to need a personal robot one day. I'm going to need, you know, so many people, so many women today need a, 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 a pedicure and a manicure once a week or whatever, right? These needs yeah. didn't exist 50 years ago, but they all exist today. And since human needs are infinite, there's no limit to them. We're always, as rich as we get, there's always going to be more and more things that we want. And there's always going to be more and more... Um, people that are going to have to be employed in order to satisfy those needs. And the issue on automation is a lack of imagination. Michael, I'm going to have to uh, cut you off because we're going to a hard break, but thanks for calling. Okay. It's, a, it's a lack of imagination. It's the problem of not being able to imagine the wonderful jobs that will exist in the future, but they will be there, just that they've been there for the last 200 years where the Luddites have told us over and over and over again, the jobs are going to disappear and they never do. All right, we're going to take a hard break here, and we'll be back. You're listening to Iran Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. You won't hear traditional political views here. This is the Iran Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. 
Yaron Brook. All right, this show is basically turned into a universal basic income show. <laughs> Within the whole two hours on this, who would have thought? I, I always think, I, you know, I'm not going to have enough. There's not that much to say about this. And, and the time just runs like that. And with the commercial breaks and everything, there's really only about an hour, 15 minutes. But a whole hour, 15 minutes, just in universal basic income. Whoa. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a lot. So uh, I apologize. We'll, we will get... Next week, I guess, to the minimum wage. I, I, I'll talk a little bit about Ayn Rand in the news towards the end of the show. But I want to wrap up this universal basic income, at least in this segment, um, so, uh, so and, and leave a little bit of time for, for talk about uh, Ayn Rand in the New York Times this week. Um, so advantages, simplicity, getting rid of inefficiencies, uh, getting rid of the human factor, lack of discrimination, all of those good things, that's, that's all good. That, that, is all, uh, that are all advantages to uh, UBI. Um, we talked about robots, and, and really I think they, this is the hubris and the arrogance of uh, Silicon Valley, that they think this time it's different. Every other time in human history, technology has created more jobs than it's destroyed, but this time, it's gonna be different. This time, this time, jobs are gonna be destroyed and there's gonna be nothing to replace them. And, and yeah, some jobs are gonna be destroyed, many, many, many. Many jobs, maybe even most jobs are going to be destroyed. But there are going to be so many more jobs created. Created in fields that we are too ignorant today and don't have enough imagination today to actually imagine. But they're going to be there because human needs. We, we, I mean, who could have imagined that we would live at the standard of living we live today and we would need all the things that we need today, that we would consume all the things we consume today, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Almost nobody imagined it. Not in the detail. Not in the detail. No way. No way. So 20, 30, 40 years from now, when we're that rich, when robots are creating so much wealth, I mean, whoa, we will, we will want personal account. And, you know, maybe we'll work a lot fewer hours and we'll have hobbies. And those hobbies will require employing people. So maybe we'll only work 10 hours a week. Who said 40 hours a week is the right amount? I mean, why a two-day weekend? Why not a three-day weekend? Who knows what the right level of work is for any given human being at any given point in time? And who knows what kind of hobbies we could have, how many careers we could have, how many, how many things we could be doing in life. I, I truly believe you need a central career in life. But that central career, there's no time limit on what that central career would be, on how much of your life you need to invest in it in terms of time. And not only that, we're going to be living to 120, 150, 200 years old. I, I truly believe that. Hopefully, if everything, you know, if we get the robots. And if technology is allowed to advance, and if, if, if we don't regulate the life extension businesses out of existence, we're going to live long. So there are going to be many careers, many things to do, and lots of opportunities for people to fulfill our needs through their employment, through their the idea of new services and new things to do. Just think of how much entertainment we have today versus 100 years ago. We have millions of people in the entertainment business, millions. Couldn't imagine that 100 years ago. And maybe... Maybe we're underinvested in entertainment. Maybe when we get so rich, we'll want more entertainers because we'll have more time on our hands, better entertainment, and more of it. Who knows? All right. 
I mean, people are complaining today that there's not enough time to watch all the good television. Well, if we have robots, there'll be more time. It's not a bad thing. Um, and we'll be so much richer. Just, just, and this is part of the problem with the uh, UBI. That as we become richer, what we define as poor, what we define as needs, what we define as basic is going to increase. It's not going to stay 10,000. And it's not going to go up just by inflation. It's every technological, like, like is an iPhone, part of what is required as a basic income. Well, yeah, well, we have to price that in and replacing it every year, of course. And autonomous cars and whatever else. And as I said, the personal robot. So the pressure group now is going to be from all those people who are living off of that $10,000, who that $10,000 is a significant portion of their income. And that could be a lot of people. They will now create this massive block of pressure, this massive block of voters who will then constantly advocate for increasing the UBI. They'll constantly complain about their needs not being met. They'll constantly complain about they're not buying the best health insurance policy available to them. They're not, being able, they're not able to save to retirement. They're not able to take care of their kids. They're not able to do this or that or whatever. So they'll be constantly advocating for an increase, and it'll constantly creep up and up and up and take more and more and more resources. And now it'll be one group. It won't be many groups fighting each other. It will be one group coalescing with one agenda, fighting for it. With a lot of political power, the same kind of political power, more even than what people have today who advocate for Social Security and Medicare. You do not, you can't touch Social Security and Medicare. Why? Because it's one voting block. It's a voting block that votes. It's a voting block that's vocal. It's a voting block that's passionate. And nobody wants to challenge that. So I believe that if you instituted UBI in spite of all the advantages of it, and in spite of the fact that if you had a UBI, it's a way in which we could advocate. Okay, every year it's going to be cut by $500. Every year it's going to be cut by $500. In 20 years, it's zero. See, that would be my ideal. And if you could put that in the Constitution, I would go with it. Right now, what Charles Murray suggests where it increases by the rate of inflation, what I suggest is you put in the Constitution, the UBI, let's say it's $10,000, and it ratchets down every year until in 20 years, it is gone. And there is no redistribution of wealth, zero in the entire economy. That kind of UBI, I'd be for. That I'd be for. That would be the equivalent of doing away with Social Security by ratcheting it down. Getting rid of Medicare by ratcheting down over a generation or two, over about 20 years, maybe even over 40 years. But it has to be encoded in the legislation. And that's, people are saying that's never going to happen. But is getting rid of the welfare state any other means going to happen? Is, are we going to get rid of food stamps? Is that ever going to happen? That's such a defeatist attitude. Right? Never going to happen. Well, why are we even trying? Why are we even fighting the welfare state? What do we want? Just incremental little changes? Let's not be ambitious. God forbid ambition. The last ambitious people in American politics were the founding fathers. And look where that got them. Sorry. <laughs> Getting excited here. So no. I mean, you've got to be ambitious. You've got to be idealistic. Yes, we're idealists. As the founding fathers were idealists. And the beauty of the founding fathers is they took their idealism and implemented it. And it's time for us to intensify the fight so that we can take our idealism and implement it. 
Our idealism, indeed, is more consistent with the founding, than the Founding Fathers, and is consistent with the Founding Fathers. More consistent than, and consistent with, than any other ideology. So, yeah, let's bring back the Founding Fathers. Let's bring back the sense of self-responsibility. Let's get rid of the welfare state. And UBI, with a ratcheting down every year, might be the most effective way of getting rid, finally, completely, of the welfare state. But if we don't ratchet it down, it's a disaster. And of course, we've talked about the moral aspect of this and the disastrous moral consequences of a UBI. All right, um, so Annette, I'm against the UBI. I'm against the UBI because I don't believe it can be ratcheted down. Because I, but if I believe that you could have that in the legislation, then I'd be all for it. But you have to acknowledge the benefits of a UBI. You have to acknowledge that in many respects, it would have it, it would improve on what we have today. The worst thing about the UBI, and I'll end with this, is that it legitimizes the idea of redistribution of wealth. It, by us advocating for it, we're legitimizing the welfare state. We're legitimizing that it's okay to take from one person and give to the other. So in my view, we have to fight against UBI, but we have to fight against the whole welfare system. And what we need to propose as a replacement for the welfare system as we phase it out is actually something like the UBI with a ratchet downwards. That, to me, is what we should be advocating for in the name of doing away with the welfare state. Right? But it has to be in the name of doing the in the away of the welfare state, not as a compromise, as a step in the direction to, not as a, not as a way to benefit the recipients, but as a way to get rid of welfare altogether, forever, completely. All right, so UBI has benefits, it has disadvantages, but if we have a clear goal of getting rid of, getting rid of welfare state completely, then UBI could be a, a method to get us there. Uh, all welfare, including UBI, are immoral. But if we're going to get to the point where we don't have any welfare, there has to be a transition. There has to be a transition. You can't just end Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and everything tomorrow. There has to be a transition. UBI, UBI is a good way to transition from where we are today, a UBI with the ratchet down, to a completely free moral society in which there is zero redistribution of wealth. All right, you are listening to the Iran Book Show, and we're going to be right back after some messages, pay the bills and everything. Uh, we're on the Blaze Radio Network. Talk to you soon. This is the Yaron Brook Show. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Yaron Brook Show. So one thing I think you have to be really careful of is that we don't get UBI and all the other welfare programs as well. So one condition on the UBI has to be that there really is nothing else. And, and that's, I agree with those of you who think that's completely unrealistic. What we're likely to get, and this is why on net I fall under the heading of not promoting the UBI, is what we're likely to get is everything, all the other welfare programs, and then on top of that, UBI as well. That's what happened to Milton Friedman's negative income tax. Now, I was going to cover a different topic this last segment, 
but I'm not. Let's just wrap this up. Might as well. I do encourage you all to go look at the New York Times and an article about Ayn Rand. Um, also, if you look Ayn Rand, and uh, there were a number of articles, uh, two articles this week, where they interviewed me about uh, Silicon Valley and Ayn Rand. So I recommend both articles. So just do a Google search in Google News on Ayn Rand and Yaron Brook, and you'll find them. We'll talk about them on another show. Um, so I wanted to mention, I want to mention that issue about UBI, uh, that you cannot, right, you cannot have both UBI, and, and, and that's likely what's going to happen. Because how are you going to unwind all these programs unless there's, I don't know what has to happen. And, and look, all these programs exist because we have, we have this wrong moral code that we believe in. We have a moral code that says that other people's needs is a, is a claim on our time and our money on us as human beings. And, and I got, a, I got a, a comment here by George, and I can't pronounce, Christodopoulos, something like that from Greece. And he says, no one needs to pay to save their lives. No one needs to pay to, to earn a living. Uh, most important, you bring your politics, thinking, idealism, and work in the 21st century and in line with the rest of the modern world. That, nobody needs to pay for your food. Nobody, you don't need to do that because we're so rich, we could just hand it out to people, right? That's the defense of UBI, right? You greedy bastard. It's a, you know, you, can, you should be, you should be, you should encourage the government to redistribute your wealth. Well, no, it's mine. How do you get the claim against my money? How do you get, because you need an education, because you need it, and your parents didn't save money, or you didn't save money, you have a claim against my life? Oh, no. Oh, no, mister. My life is mine. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to everybody who has a need out there. It doesn't belong to the poor of the world, the needy of the world. I'm sorry, George. You want an education? Go work and save some money and get an education. You want to pay to get a trade? To, to learn a trade or to save your life uh, in healthcare, then save some money and use it for that. My life's not yours. I'm not your slave. You don't get you don't get to use my money any way you want. You don't get to take my money, take my life, take my time, take my effort, whenever to whatever extent you want for the sake of you. And this is the fundamental moral point, guys. That, 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 that the only way we're going to change the welfare state is we have to accept. We have to accept what I think the founders understood, but only Ayn Rand in her philosophy has articulated. We have to understand that your life is yours to pursue your happiness by achieving your rational values. Your life is not other people. Uh, you know, you don't owe your life to other people. You don't owe them a moral obligation to take care of them. You, their need is not a moral claim against you. I reject the morality of altruism. I reject the morality that says that morality means taking care of other people. You want to take care of other people? Fine, that's what charity is for. You want to take care of other people? Make sure it's in your self-interest that it's moral to do so. Not taking care of everybody is not necessarily moral. But, but somebody else's need somebody else's suffering, somebody else's disadvantage is not a moral case against me. It's not a claim against my life. My life's mine, not yours. I don't care how suffering you are. I don't care how miserable you are. You want my help? Ask for it. You want my help? 
come and make a case why I should help you. But to pull a gun out and to force me, which is what warfare is, force is wrong and immoral. And UBI and the entire welfare state should be abolished in the name of morality, the morality of individualism, the morality that says that your life belongs to you, not to society, not to the group, not to tribe, not to anybody else. So let's dedicate this show to living your own life for yourself. You're listening to Ron Brooks. Applying Brookshire. the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio. It's the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs>